Welcome back to Behind the Wings, a podcast produced by Wings Over the Rockies Air and Space Museum in beautiful Denver, Colorado. We've got a lot to explore. Stories about how history shapes aviation today, trailblazers in space, up-close looks at iconic aircraft, and on today's show, refueling spacecraft. Yep, it's time to go Behind the Wings. All right, we've made it to episode 23. We are so glad to have you along for the ride. And make sure you subscribe wherever you listen. Uh, maybe you're on a plane. Or maybe you're flying a plane, safely, of course. <laughs> well, all that to say, if you like the show, consider leaving us a rating. It's the best way for new people to discover the show, and we really do appreciate it. Now, we're excited to bring you an orbital episode today. I'm your host, Rick Crandall. With me, as always, is Wings Over the Rockies president and CEO, John Barry. All right, John, tee it up. What do we have for folks today? Well, this is amazing. Today's topic is gas station in space. <laughs> you know, I mean, think about it, really? But what does that really mean? We're taking a deep dive into the world of on-orbit spacecraft refueling. Refueling, whether for a spacecraft, satellites, or space stations, could be an essential piece of orbital infrastructure to create a more sustainable economy around the Earth and Moon, also known as the cislunar economy. Ah, yes, the cislunar economy, a word we keep bringing back up. Really, whenever we do a space episode, we can't stop mentioning it because there's a lot going on up there. The number of objects orbiting the Earth is increasing each year at a very fast pace. Some might say at a meteoric pace. <laughs> you know, meteoric is a very satisfying way to describe it. Another perspective on it, if you average it out over the last five years, the number of active satellites in orbit has increased at an annual rate of more than 20% and has accelerated even more in the past couple of years. Today, there are more than 7,000 active satellites in space. My goodness. Earth's orbit can seem so abstract, but on today's episode, I've got so many questions about the logistics of something like refueling on orbit. Our guest today is Adam Harris. Adam currently serves as the Chief Commercial Officer at OrbitFab, where he's building the in-space propellant supply chain for the Space Force, and he's just about the perfect person to help us break this topic down. There's a lot to learn in this episode, so let's get started. Adam Harris, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Well, we're glad to have you here in Wings, uh, Stuart, especially being an Air Force Academy graduate, you know. <laughs> we don't always have our guests with us in person, but we're glad to have you with us today, Adam, for uh, starting this out. So let's uh, start out with an introduction. Tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Adam Harris. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer at OrbitFab. My background, like you started with, was I started at the Air Force Academy, graduated uh, there, and went on to eight years in the service in the Air Force, really working around acquisitions and launch vehicles. My last four years at, was at the National Reconnaissance Office, which is out in Chantilly, uh, Virginia. They uh, build spacecraft that launch for national security missions, and uh, had a great time there. Got out of the Air Force and then went to be a staffer on the Hill. I was on 
on the Senate mm -hmm. Intelligence Committee first. At the time, it was the intelligence about the Iraq War, sort of weapons of mass destruction and ties to terrorism. And that was kind of a formative uh, on the Hill time and then uh, was at House Appropriations, so much more on the budget side, so space budgets and things as a policy person in uh, D.C. Spent many years in D.C. Then uh, after the Hill, I went to uh, SpaceX. So I spent four years at SpaceX. At the time, we were telling people that rockets could land and be reused and nobody, uh, people laughed. Yeah, it was a uh, kind of get thrown out of the colonel's office at that point and uh, rockets don't do that. And we were uh, telling people that that was possible and uh, that could happen and that would change the game. After SpaceX, I went back to the NRO, was the inspector general there for a bit and then uh, started in kind of the startup game and started my own companies as COVID hit, uh, joined up with Orbit Fab. Uh, Orbit Fab was founded in 2018. So I'm responsible for revenue and uh, strategic partnerships at the company and uh, kind of the business side, whereas I would say we're a very heavy engineering company. And so uh, most of our company is engineering and engineers. I'm an engineer by background, but right now I'm on the business side. Very good. So I'm going to ask you this because the first time you mentioned it, and actually when John and I were talking about it earlier, I saw his frow get kind of burrowed when he heard gas stations in space. And we're going to cover a lot in this episode, but why don't we start out there? What the heck do we mean by gas stations in space? We don't mean a literal Exxon or Shell or Mobile uh, kind of on your corner that you're refueling from. Early in the OrbitFab time, we talked to a lot of space companies and said, what problems are you having? What, what could change your value? What could change the way you do business in orbit? And a lot of them said, you know, needing more fuel, whether that fuel is for maneuvering or that fuel is to extend the life of the spacecraft or that fuel is I'm over this region of the world and I want to drift to another region in the world and I need fuel to do that. And a lot of those companies we talked to, including Department of Defense and NASA, commercial companies said that it would be really valuable if they could refuel those spacecraft, if they didn't have to worry about fuel running out if they did some of those maneuver activities. So we started OrbitFab with the purpose of creating, quote unquote, this gas stations in space. But what we really mean that is we want to refuel spacecraft. And over the last four or so years, we built the technology, one, the gas cap. The, the way you do refueling in orbit is you gotta deal with things like zero gravity and fuel wants to become droplets in space and uh, not act the same way it does in here in, on Earth. So we did a lot of technology development on the engineering side on how you move fuel from one spacecraft to another and how you do uh, pumping and refueling and those kind of bits. And so we've developed that both for our commercial customers, but also for uh, the U.S. Department of Defense. They have gotten really interested in this area uh, recently. There's lots of acronyms in this uh, industry, uh, ISAM and OSAM, and what those stand for is um, satellite assembly, manufacturing, satellite servicing. The way we think about it is the International Space Station has been in orbit for many years now, and that platform in space has been added to. We've added modules to that. We've done dockings. The cargo and astronauts go to that International Space Station. They do that docking. They move cargo between spacecraft and the International Space Station. And so this is becoming a technology area of docking two things in orbit it is not a new thing, but it is uh, what is new is docking those for the purpose of refueling it and adding fuel to that spacecraft that then allows it to do its mission. 
Well, refueling satellites in space is such a, a specific service. Yeah. It's also universal in the sense that you can interact with anything that is orbiting that needs fuel to operate. I mean, think about gas stations. You know, any car can pull up to any gas station yes. and be able to do that. Whether it's uh, satellites or next generation space stations, Tell me a bit about the origin of the story of Orbit sure. Fab, because why did you land on the orbital refueling? Because yep. Fab sounds like fabrication. It originally was fabrication, and so the company was started in Silicon Valley, in venture capital uh, world, and the thought was that we would manufacture things in space. At the time, silicon chips or uh, solar arrays were things that different folks were interested in creating in orbit, and mm -hmm. that's still the case, and we still see that. We started the company with the idea that creating a vibrant, bustling economy in space, uh, meaning activities happening in orbit between spacecraft and astronauts and others really is what we think the future is going to be. And so a lot of that, we tend to use analogies of railroads across America. And space is kind of at that era where 10, 15 years ago it was the province of governments. And governments were the only ones taking things to orbit. And a lot of that has changed, and so it's an exciting time to be part of this space economy. The other analogy we tend to use is if you took your car on a cross-country trip and you only got that one tank of fuel, you'd get maybe 300 miles, and then you'd toss it away. That's a quite an expensive trip. And then what spacecraft do typically in the past has been they take all the fuel they're gonna use with them, which means that car on that trip then has this massive anchor behind it that is a big fuel tank. And so we're trying to change that and make space a more uh, vibrant economy and uh, being able to do more activities there. So we're focused on the refueling, but there's lots of exciting possibilities of where this could go. I'm going to ask you to kind of walk us through satellites in general. I think just for the knowledge of people that are listening, do you know what the heck is up there? Before I do that, were you the first in this space? Was Orbit Fab? I mean, were there people that were trying to refuel satellites? There were. There were specific programs. One that we commonly talk about is called Orbital Express. And so Orbital Express uh, was a uh, DARPA program that did, was two satellites coming together and refueling and doing some of this docking technology. So there was a lot of things around docking and refueling in orbit that have been done in the past that we've really learned from. And so I would say OrbitFab is the first company to make this commercially available. So making refuelings available to spacecraft hasn't been done outside of kind of specific government programs. And so OrbitFab is making that available to uh, everybody in the ecosystem. So I was up at Lockheed and had a big tour of the place with a, with a group and we were having question and answer time and I said, you know, I sit at home and I look up at the sky at night and I see four, five, six satellites go by that I can see and follow across the sky, right? How many are up there? And they just looked at me like, you got no idea. <laughs> We, right? We can't, we're having trouble keeping track with everything that's up there. So not only the amount, but there's a lot of different satellites up there. There are. There's thousands of satellites now, and these range from a lot of different things. So we've already talked about the International Space Station, but there's also a lot of communication satellites. So communications sit really far away from the Earth. Uh, we call that GEO, the geosynchronous belt. Um, what that means is that's a spot in an orbit where the satellite is going around the Earth at the same speed as the Earth is spinning around. And so 
those satellites can sit over a certain region of the Earth and broadcast. And so uh, they're broadcasting uh, ESPN or CNN or uh, Fox News, whichever programs you want to see around the world. And that's a major part of the industry uh, these days is communications. But satellites also include Earth observation. And so those are weather satellites. And a lot of NASA programs look at the climate and they're looking for things like hurricanes and tsunamis and giving people on Earth warning when those things are coming about or when they're forming in the middle of the ocean when uh, you wouldn't see them right away on land and tracking those things and giving people warning on Earth. And then it includes things like GPS, the global positioning satellite can't really uh, find my own directions without that uh, GPS signal that's come into each of our smartphones. All of those base economy and activities are going to need fuel. And so we start our company concentrating on where those clumps of satellites are, but we will uh, grow as more activity happens in orbit. I'm thinking it's not going to be like, you know, I'm complaining about 398 a gallon right sure. now. Sure. <laughs> right? I, I, I'm thinking this is going to be a whole different animal. It is a whole different animal. It is. So there's a fuel called hydrazine. Hydrazine is used in a lot of spacecraft. It's a very energetic propellant. But in that far out geo belt, uh, we put out a press release that for $20 million, you can be refueled for up to 100 kilograms of fuel. So the price per gallon is quite expensive, but it's because getting to orbit costs uh, the cost of launch. And so uh, getting there is quite a bit of the expense. Um, and I think what we're seeing today is those prices are coming down. There's pressure to push down those launch prices. And so that, that makes this a really commercially viable uh, business. So are these point-to-point -point refueling? So in other words, yeah. you're not going to have a gas station up there Correct. that people come by and zip into and yeah. zip out of. Correct. It won't look like get off the interstate uh, sort of thing. It will be you're in the orbit where the fuel is. And so our overall or architecture orbit fab has what we call fuel depots. And the best way to think about a depot is a tank of gas with uh, some refueling ports on it. And then we have shuttles. And the fuel shuttles deliver that fuel to your satellite. So those satellites that are in orbit don't really want to move, and so that delivery service is what OrbitFab does. There's a lot of skepticism, I'm sure, that goes on with this. Yeah. And, you know, I go to a movie that our audience may have seen. It's sure. called Gravity with Sandra Bullock. Sure. And here she is floating from one space station to another, which is absolutely physics impossible, mm. you know, to be able to do because, you know, to change orbits, it takes a lot of fuel to get to a different orbit. Yeah. So you're gonna to have to put something in space that's very close to the orbit that you're that's right. going to be refueling. That's right. And you can't just say, okay, well, now I'm gonna to go to that satellite yeah. that's in that different orbit. How are you gonna go from one orbit to another? Um, at OrbitFab, we benefit that a lot of those satellites go to similar orbits. So we think about putting fuel in those orbits that are very common. And so, yes, moving in orbit, you're moving around the Earth and at really high speed. So getting to those orbits is a tricky business, but um, this, this is what satellites do. This is what launch vehicles do. They get you to those orbits and they get you accelerated to those speeds so that you're in a orbit that everybody understands and uh, the physics of it. But yes, we will put fuel where the customers are. And so we will deliver that fuel to customers and we will put more fuel in those orbits as this space economy grows. So Adam, with you talking about, you know, the numbers of, of satellites that there are, the number of companies that are in the game now, there's got to be 
industry collaboration on this. I mean, that's got to be absolutely necessary. I mean, it all has to be compatible, right? It does. A good analogy is aircraft refueling. So aircraft have a way to do refueling from the booms of a a refueling tanker, they need to be standardized in the way they do that. That uh, And standards means everything from the mechanical fitting to uh, how they do that, how they communicate between the airplanes when that's occurring. And so a lot of those standards in space are being uh, created right now. And so uh, we have some analogies and we have some activities that have done this operating between two spacecraft and those are all pretty well understood but we will grow these standards and each year there's somebody who's got a new great idea and so uh, that's pretty exciting because that makes us all in this industry a little bit better. You know it's important for the audience to try to understand a little bit about you know what you call RAFTI, Rapidly Attachable Fluid Transfer Interface. So, so what is RAFTI? RAFTI stands for uh, Rapidly Attachable Fuel Transfer Interface, but RAFTI is, is the fueling interface. It is the interface that you put on your spacecraft that attaches to a fuel tank on your spacecraft. It is also the thing that OrbitFab's fuel shuttle comes and grabs on and docks to. Um, and allows that fuel transfer. And so that interface on your car, the equivalent is the gas cap. It's that gas cap that any gas station you can fill up your car. So what OrbitFab decided early on is we needed that refueling interface to be available to any spacecraft. In terms of standards, being able to come to that spacecraft and do refueling in orbit is something where a person's not there. So it's not we're not driving up to the gas station and somebody can uh, move the handle and attach and fuel. This is done robotically, done automatically. There are people on the ground at the ground stations monitoring all these activities and making sure they're safe, uh, but there's not a person that's there in orbit with the operation actually happening. And so these are remote operations that will occur in space. That refueling interface enables that spacecraft to not just be fueled on the ground, so before launch, but when it's in orbit, a fuel shuttle can come to it and uh, dock with it, um, and that spacecraft can have uh, new fuel added to uh, what they brought up with them. There's got to be standards, and they got to right. be able to do this. So licenses, I mean, the space. <laughs> I mean, I can just imagine the legal elements that go into this is incredible. Each nation that uh, licenses a launch of a satellite or an object in space is responsible for regulating or ensuring the safe operation in orbit. And so in the United States, we have a number of agencies who license launches or license broadcasting spectrum for things in orbit. And so we definitely uh, work within those parameters. We've talked a lot about what's up there. What we need to address is so what's the game plan now, right? What's next? So OrbitFab has had two missions to space. Our first one uh, was to the International Space Station, and so we had an experiment that was about pumping and moving fuel around in zero gravity, and the astronauts helped us do that experiment, and uh, we had that, that was in 2019. 
in 2021, we put a fuel depot in orbit. Our next mission is happening in 2025, so about two years from now, and that is to start putting fuel depots and fuel shuttles in orbit. Having those activities really, I think, inspires kids and future scientists and engineers and, and a lot of things that really are, are great for everybody here. And so we're excited to be a part of that. We're a refueling company in orbit, but uh, there's a lots of things that get uh, enabled by uh, these kind of things that are happening in space. Well, this is fascinating. But as we transition to this new gas station in space, it's really compelling to be able to think about what you're going to be able to do here in the next few years. I think I just have learned about the perfect retirement job for General Barry. When he's finished as the CEO of Wings, he can go into space and he can drive the space, the street sweeper, John, the thing that goes yeah, around yeah. and picks up the paint pieces and you'll just be up there. Nobody bugging you. It's perfect. It's perfect, John. Perfect. Adam, thank you so much for your time today. This was really fascinating, and I'm excited for young people because, boy, they've got a whole big new world that's just ahead of them for sure. Yeah, very much agree, and thank you for having me. Wow, what a cool opportunity to dive into the topic of orbital refueling. You know, there's so many interesting aspects of this topic I hadn't considered. I really love just how many parts and moving pieces there are to this, John, and, and how many people are involved. I mean, just the logistics of this is incredible. Tell me about your takeaways. You know, trying to be able to put a gas station in the sky where they actually have a satellite that has fuel in it, and then they have transferring satellites that go to different locations. I mean, it's the logistics, it's the legal aspects, it's the communication, it's the standardization of the hookups, you know, that would have to be done, you know, internationally if we were going to do this. And then the orbital mechanics, it just blows me away that they're going to put this in the orbit with other satellites and be able to air refuel because you can't go very easily from one orbit to another. So it's going to be real interesting on how they handle all of those complex elements. It's like a, a maze that they got to put together to make it a success. I'm really anxious to see how it will work out. No, I think you're right. It sounds like the right people, including folks like Adam, are behind it. Well, that's going to do it, folks. Hope you enjoyed Episode 23 of the Behind the Wings podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to visit wingsmuseum.org slash podcast to join the conversation, and, and you can access our show notes there as well. And don't forget, we have new episodes coming out every other Monday. Make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and subscribe. And while you're at it, be sure to leave a review. It's the best way to get our show out there, and we do greatly appreciate hearing from you. We'll see you next time right here on Behind the Wings.